Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man, who was lame from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. When was the last time that you expected something to happen? Maybe you expected to come here this morning. Maybe you expected to find a parking space or more likely expected to struggle to find one. Maybe there are people here that you expected to see. I wonder if there have been times that you've expected something and something even greater has happened. For me, I think about one Christmas where I asked for blue tack for Christmas. Um, my expectations were completely excelled that year because I got about five packets of blue tack. Yep. Or I think of times when I was expecting to do really poorly in an exam and actually on results day I'd done a lot better than I expected. Because our lives are full of expectations, some of which sadly aren't met and they can leave us feeling really disappointed. But others can be wonderfully exceeded. And our passage today is one which is full of expectations. And that's what I want us to pay attention to as we begin to explore this text, looking at the expectations of the beggar and those of Peter and John, and how in amongst all that, this story can encourage us to live expectant lives. Firstly, though, as I've been exploring this passage, it's struck me time and time again how deeply relational this story is, how it is a text that's held together by human interactions and transformational encounters, not only with God, but with other people. If you were to look back at Acts chapter 2 and verses 42 to 47, you'll find it outlined just how significant the rhythms of prayer and fellowship, but most importantly, community life, were to the early church and its believers. And Peter and John were no exception to this. So we begin in our passage with Peter and John going to the temple together at the time of prayer. And this would have been something that they would have regularly done. However, I must admit, when I first read this passage, I found John to be playing a pretty redundant role. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. 
Even reading on a little bit further, it's Peter that will soon explain the events that are about to unfold to the crowd. It's Peter that does this preaching. But I think it's really significant and important even to note that the disciples were always sent out in pairs. It wasn't just Peter and John here. They weren't sent out to do the work of Jesus alone. They continually had a friend and someone who was there with them to encourage and support them. And today, we still need each other as we navigate life and faith. It's evident in the Bible, even from Genesis onwards, that we weren't made to do life alone. That was never God's intention for us. We need each other to encourage and support each other to give each other a bit of perspective when in our faith we're finding things hard to believe or perhaps just in the times when life inevitably gets tough. I think in the light of this passage this morning, I think it's even safe to say that we can expect more and expect to live a fuller life when we are in this together. And so as Peter and John arrived at the temple, their arrival coincides with that of a lame beggar. Now, this man was placed outside the temple at the gate every day to beg for money. And this man had to be carried there, probably by friends or family, but he had no choice but to be carried there. I think this signifies just how helpless and defenseless he was, and he was completely dependent on the help of other people. And every day, people would walk past this beggar and they would ignore him. On the rare occasion that he was acknowledged, it was people, worshippers, who were giving to him just out of some kind of act of righteousness. They probably didn't even look at him as they gave him money. And so for this beggar, disappointment had become his normality. Any sense of expectancy he had was long gone. One theologian says this, in light of his long experience, he may have begged from the apostles as he had many others, hoping for something, but expecting nothing, and perhaps not even noticing from whom he asked. And so his request, a request to have his most basic needs met, was simply what he asked everybody, every hour of every day. But, Unlike every other person, Peter and John stopped. Look at us. Peter commanded that this man look at them just as they were looking at him. He wouldn't be used to people actually looking at him and making eye contact with him. And look, the writer of Acts is emphasizing here the importance of the fact that Peter and John looked at the beggar. I wonder what it was they were looking to see. Were they looking to see if this man already had faith? Maybe they were looking to see the depths of his pain and sorrow. Maybe they were looking to see if this man was ready to receive more than he could imagine and be touched by the healing hand of God. But I think what's most important is that when this man's biggest hope had been reduced to maybe, just maybe, 
receiving some act of mechanical charity. In the instant when Peter and John looked at him, his usual expectation of disappointment was replaced by a genuine expectation to receive something. There was a shift in his levels of expectancy and he was about to get more, so much more than he bargained for. A few years ago now, I remember spending a typical day in town with one of my friends. I imagine we were your classic teenage girls where we went shopping but didn't actually spend any money and spent hours in a coffee shop where we ordered something that probably didn't even have coffee in it. Um, I remember this day because it was one of those days that ended up stretching into the evening and the two of us met up with some of our other friends a bit later on at some kind of get-together. But we spent most of the evening ignoring everyone else, sat in a corner, chatting away to each other. When I got home that evening, I sent her a text just to say thank you for the day. And I think in sending that text, I was probably trying to say, let's do it again and let's be best friends. But when she replied, she sent me a Bible verse and invited me to church for the first time. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. There is a brief moment here where the beggar is likely to feel disappointed when he finds out Peter and John are not going to give him any money. But Peter quickly turns this around as he tells him he has something better to offer him. This man was continually disappointed by people day after day after day, but he will not be disappointed by the person of Jesus. <laughs> I thought I knew what I needed. I thought what I needed was a new friend and someone who I could easily talk to. And I did get that. But God knew what I really needed was him. In that moment, my expectation was to receive one thing. And even though I got that, I gained so much more as I took this friend up on her offer. I came to church and found faith. I'm standing here this morning somehow. And maybe there are some of you here this morning that are struggling with the idea of a God who meets your needs. Maybe like the beggar, there are daily routines or some kind of daily monotony that you are trapped in and it's removed all sense of expectation that you once had. But we believe in a God who sees beyond our immediate needs. He sees the deeper needs. And he's a God who doesn't just see them, but he meets them. In fact, he doesn't just meet them. He completely excels them. I found it interesting in the passage that Peter didn't ask this man if he wanted healing. He just looked at him and saw it was the right thing to do. At the beginning of Acts, Jesus ascends into heaven and then the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only was this filling of the Spirit the thing that enabled the disciples to do great things, but it meant that they were expectant that great things were going to happen. So Peter's reaction here was the natural response to this new power, a new kind of life that the apostles had discovered. 
Peter saw a need, and in the power of Jesus' name, he did something about it. This is the first occurrence in Acts that says something that resonates through the next chapters and in the wider, into the wider story Luke's telling through the book. Because in what Peter says, he makes it very clear where the healing power resides. Later on in the chapter, Peter will go on to explain in verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was completely made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Peter and John weren't the ones who had the power. They simply, yet wholeheartedly, and with expectant hearts, trusted in the one who did. Jesus' name is now what carries the power, and it is faith in the power of that name, and faith in Jesus himself, that is causing new and incredible things to happen. It's the name of Jesus that is transforming lives and offering wholeness. <laughs> and that's just as true today as it was in the first century. One theologian says, it's the power of Jesus' name that counts here and everywhere. The apostles had their eyes fixed on the example that Jesus had set before him. And they were sent out, filled with the Holy Spirit, enabled to do as he did. They were enabled to perform the same gracious healing acts that Jesus had performed, acts that in the Gospels were signs of the coming kingdom of God. The living, loving person of Jesus was the only thing that engaged their full attention. And we today also need to be continually refocused onto Jesus so that his character can begin to be shown through us, through the lives that we live because we too are called to live as Jesus lived. Are we expectant that God can use us? Do you expect him to use you at the dinner table with your family or in your office or the place that you work? Do you expect him to show up in conversations with friends who don't yet know Jesus? Do you expect him to give you opportunities to show a glimpse of his kingdom wherever you are? This passage shows us that when we are willing and obedient and living Christ-centered and spirit-filled lives, then Jesus can do incredible things through us wherever he has placed us in the world. A miracle has happened. A lame man who was unable to walk from birth has jumped to his feet in the power of Jesus' name. It's a miracle. I wonder how you would define the word miracle. Do you only think of unexplainable, unimaginable healing, or is it something more general around impossible things being made possible? I had a look at the word miracle, and it's a word that stems from a Latin word miraculum, which means an object of wonder. And if you look even further back, the word simply meant wonderful. And I don't know about you, but when I think of miracles as 
moments or events that are so wonderful, we can't explain them without our wonderful God. It increases my capacity to see miracles everywhere. <coughs> this past year, I've been an intern here at P's and G's. And at the start of the year, I was aware of how quickly this year could fly by, and I didn't want to waste a moment of it. So for the first few months of the internship, at the end of every day, I challenged myself to try and write down 40 things I was thankful for that day. I always find the first kind of 20 to 30 relatively okay to find, depending on how busy the day had been or how fun the day had been. But I always pushed myself a little bit further to try and find some joy in the smallest moments of the day in all of its intricacies and nuances. And I even did a kind of example of this with the staff team I, when I led staff prayer one morning. It was probably about this time in the morning. And I challenged everyone to write down 20 things that they'd been thankful for already that morning. And I got a kind of nervous laughter from everybody, um, as you can imagine. But when everybody stopped to take note, every single one of them were able to think of 20 things. And it was amazing to hear how varied they were from people being thankful for running water and electricity in their homes to being thankful for creativity because they'd thought of something new to have for breakfast. And I wonder what it would look like for us to expect to see miracles, moments of wonder in even the smallest ways in our day-to-day -day lives. And how would our response to this change the way that we live? Because I think that our biggest witness of our faith comes through the outliving of our praise and thanksgiving. In the passage, it's repeatedly mentioned that this beggar wasn't just walking, but he was jumping, and he was praising God as he did so. He was praising because he acknowledged that this miracle wasn't to do with Peter and John, but the God whom they had put their faith in. And he was undeniably visibly thankful. This meant that there was clearly no shortage of witnesses to this miracle. And it's highlighted in verse 10 that the wonder of what had happened was not just contained to this man, but to everybody who witnessed the healing. And although people may have been impressed by what they'd seen, they may not have responded to what it really meant or signified, which is why Peter goes on to take the opportunity to explain these events and the magnitude of this wonder to everyone around them, to explain to them the good news of Jesus. Because this good news, it's no longer confined within temple walls or sets of institutions, but it's beginning to break out into the world. It's a good news that is able to reach anyone and everyone who needs it. So are we, like Peter, willing to be the voice, the mouthpiece of that good news? Are we today living lives in which we express our thankfulness continually and the God who is the reason for it all? And most importantly, are we letting people know that they can expect the same thing 
if they find faith and life with Jesus. Through this story, we've seen a lame man with little expectation have his life transformed. He met two men who expected the incredible and were enabled to do unimaginable things through faith in Jesus and the power of his name. This lame man walked and he lived a life so full of thanks and praise, it was infectious, demonstrating to everyone who came near him that there is joy and life more full than you could ever imagine when you encounter the love of God.